Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Rosh Hashanah, daf Kaf Chet, page 28. We're kind of zooming through. I'm going to remind everybody again, we've got our seam coming up, November 14th. Um, as far as I know, we're calling it for 5 o'clock in the afternoon in uh, Israel time, 10 a.m. on the east coast of the U.S., uh, everybody should have changed their clocks by then. Actually, I can't speak to everybody. The United States and Israel both will have changed their clocks. If you're in a different country, uh, follow along as as your country's time zone uh, requires. Um, I'm going to come back to this question of exactly where we ended off, which is, you know, if somebody is blows the shofar in a pit or in something that has an echo, right? And the Mishnah says he, that person has not fulfilled the obliga- that person's obligation. So at the very end of yesterday's daf, um, we get told that Rav Huna says, "I'm Rav Huna. Lo shano elelo tan haomdin asfatabor. The people who are not fulfilling their obligation is not the person who blows the shofar. The person who blows the shofar is hearing both the shofar being blown and also the echo. Meaning there's, but so even if you ignore the echo, they've still heard the shofar. The question is, what happens to anybody who might be standing up at the top of this pit? They hear the shofar being blown from the inside." And then is what they're hearing, and this goes back to the discussion of, you know, the experience of sound. Are they hearing the the voice of the shofar, or are they hearing the echo? But if you're inside the pit, then you fulfilled your obligation because the it's kind of like a recognition that your ears got the original voice as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Then there, we have a break that addresses this as well. So the the break that says that if you blow the shofar in a pit or in a cistern or any of these things that have the potential for an echo, you have fulfilled your obligation. But one second, didn't we just say in this Mishnah, that the Mishnah says that you did not fulfill your obligation. So this is going to be resolved. So the conclusion of that con- the apparent contradiction, and this is why I want to bring it, um, the contradiction between the Breita that says you fulfilled your obligation and the <coughs> our Mishnah that says you did not fulfill the obligation is a f- difference of focus of who are we asking, did they fulfill their obligation or not? Meaning the person who's blowing shofar or people who are in the pit, they all fulfilled their obligation. But Rav Huna's point is that we're talking about the people who are in the, at the standing up above, you know, on the ground above the pit, and they will not have fulfilled their obligation. Okay. So then the Gemara goes on, and I'm still at the very end of the previous stuff, but we're going to move on to our daf today. There's another way to raise a contradiction here. It, the citation says that somebody who blows in the shofar, blows shofar in the pit and so on, did not fulfill the obligation. But didn't we learn... Yes, you did fulfill the obligation. The reason I find this little passage here to be so interesting that it was worth reading out loud, even though it's repeating the content of the previous you know, couple of lines, is that this is basically, I would say, the editorial hand. Meaning, what we see here is a revision of the question and the contradiction between the Breita and the Mishnah, and Rev Huna's position, but here it's kind of cleaned up and it's made a little trimmer and a little briefer. And it's there's something really interesting, I think, when we can actually we're not, you know, we on uh, talking Talmud are not doing 
paying very much attention to what what scholars will call like the layers of the text of the Gemara. We pay a little bit of attention to you know which generation people lived in, but the actual text here seems to be the revision of the few lines right before it. So what I find also interesting is that the Gemara revises but also keeps both both versions. Right? It doesn't. There's no delete here. Okay. Now we move on to our Gemara, our Daf Amaraba Shema. So we're going to be very Gemara learning today. We're going to do a lot of Gemara learning in exactly this way of let's explore different cases that seem to be like, you know, really probing the parameters of how far does this halacha take us. So if you hear, hear part of a shofar blast in the pit, and part of the shofar blast um, at the at the top of the pit, yatsa. So in that case, the, the rabbi says you fulfilled your obligation. So now we've got a new factor. The new factor here is time. What happens if you hear a shofar blast so early in the morning that it's not yet dawn, but it's exactly at that moment when the sky shifts to, to be dawn, right? So now you've heard part of the shofar blast before dawn and part after dawn, have you fulfilled your obligation? And the, the Gemara here says, Lo yata. Meaning you ha- it has to be the daytime. Why? You already have to have the obligation of the the tikiat shofar to be able to fulfill the obligation, right? And before the dawn, it's too early. You don't yet have that obligation. So Abai asks exactly on this, what's the difference, right? Meaning if you've got a case of one hears the shofar before dawn and part of it after dawn, so then you want to say that all of it has to be heard in the time of obligation. You don't have that. So then also the case of the pit, you could say you have to hear the entire blast at the time of obligation, you know, to fulfill the obligation. And you don't hear it. You don't have that. You have part in the pit and part out of the pit. So the Gemara says, no, you do not need to worry about this. Ha and I feel like every one of you listening can can draw the same conclusion as the Gemara, meaning when you're talking about the difference between the night and the day, then you're talking about a time that doesn't have a shofar requirement at all versus a time that does. As compared to the boar, you know, the pit, if you're in the pit, you fulfill your obligation. If you're out of the pit, you do not. But so you have the possibility, like just don't climb out of the pit. You'll continue to to fulfill your to fulfill your obligation. It makes sense to say that that person indeed could, you know, or at least as a possibility, right? So then that's you know this this case becomes a very um <clears throat> the it's a very different kind of case once you introduce the factor of time and whether there's an obligation at all as compared to whether you've got a different physical circumstance that allows you or doesn't allow you to fulfill the obligation. Um, Lameimra, and the Gemara says, let's just say, the Savaraba, Shama Softkiya Belot Kilatkiya Yatsa. All of this comes to teach or comes to, to, we can infer from it that Rabba believes that if you heard the end of the shofar blast and you didn't hear the beginning of it, you have fulfilled your obligation. And so then, and you know, therefore it also would follow that if you hear the beginning of the blast without hearing the end of the blast, 
then you've also fulfilled your obligation, at least according to this approach, which we, your Dana, you and I yesterday, and also the Gemara that you read yesterday, suggests the opposite, right? I'm going to hand this over to you in one minute. We have just another, you know, another answer to resolve this. Tashma takabri shona umashach b'shniya kishtaim ein biyado alachad. So the next thing, let's talk about the length of time of the tekiot themselves. If you blew that tekiya, you know, you've got tekiya trua tekiya, and you blew the first tekiya to be a regular tekiya, and then you blew the second tekiya, which is the end of the listening to the shofar, right? And it, now you've got the length of it to be two tekiot. Does that count as two? Like, can you say that even though you didn't hear the first one, but now you've heard the second one be twice as long, does that get you the count of two tekiot? And the answer is no. You just have only the one in your hands. It's a very long one. <coughs> Pardon me. I should take a drink. Why can't you say that, you know, let, let's count this as two tekiot? And the Gemara here answers, Right? If you hear the beginning and the end, then you fulfill your obligation. But that doesn't mean we're going to you know, cut one long blast of a shofar into two, um, into two for the sake of saying that you fulfilled the obligation. So, you know, again, I think this gets into a lot of questions about like Kavana, intent. What does the sound look like? How are you hearing the sound? Um, and I think it's interesting that, you know, we got into some mitzvot tzricha kavana in Masachat Brachot, right? When we had the Gemara that gets the Mishnah that gets quoted again here of, you know, you're reading the Torah and then, you know, you get to Shema and Kivain at Libo. But um, it's interesting that it's within the context of Shofar that much of the discussion takes place. Yeah, I think it is interesting. I also I mean, wonder... there's a little bit in Masachim too, let me just clarify, but the length of it is 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 here. The bulk of it is here. I, and I, I wonder how much of that isn't also the backdrop of Rosh Hashanah, meaning how much of Rosh Hashanah is about a person's intent, even more so Yom Kippur, perhaps. But, you know, in the in the relation, meaning the Gemara Yom Kippur is very much about the Karbanot, right, as compared to the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, here we are, right? And some of it has to do with, like, what is that chauffeur doing for you? the very mitzvah of shofar, which is the main mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah, is much more in this like thematic meaning of the day of waking up, paying attention, doing tshuva, etc., in a way that I think we don't see in the other masechah in the same way. Again, I, I don't want to take it too far. I'm just saying that it. I feel like there is this, um, the backdrop is there. Um, I really like what you said, and I never thought about it that way. And I think that's a really interesting way to think about this i have to think about that but like the whole day is about intention so um you know so that's why we're going to talk about intention i'm going to wrap up then our discussion about intention with a very interesting little jewel uh that's at the end of the daf um there's a big discussion basically of most a big chunk of amud bet about rava's opinion that mitzvot ain't srichot kavana and they go through lots of permutations to try to prove how can he, you know, how can he say this? And it starts with Rava's ruling that basically if somebody blows chauffeur for music, you can be Yotze with that because he holds that mitzvos ain't srichot kavana, right? And so then he quotes, you know, the whole thing of your laning, he quotes what I referred to before about Shema, right? That you could, you know, you, you, you have to have 
Kavana, right, to read it. So the Gemara says, okay, so that Mishnah says you have to have Kavana, that you're reading Shema. But the idea is, is that he's actually reading. It doesn't mean that he's having Kavana. It means he has Kavana to read it. So they go through a whole series of these back and forth with Rava. Then they go, they give the example of passing by a shul and hearing shofar Megillah, and that you could be Yotze as long as you had Kavana. So the answer Rava would give is, he means it's Kavana to hear it. But the idea is that he's hearing that sound and not a different sound of a donkey or something like that. Um, then we have the case, right, where he, you know, where he blew it for music. Um, well, here's the show we're playing music. Could it be Yotze? And there it says, okay, it's referring to a case when he didn't, the person didn't blow it for the correct amount of shear. So that's why you wouldn't be Yotze in that particular case. So they go through like all these cases and then they land on this very interesting case where they sidetrack into Baltosif as well. And at the bottom of all of this, okay, Rabba sort of clarifies his opinion. And he says, Rabba Amar, let's say lo bai kavana, okay? La'avor bai kavana, okay? Which I think is kind of like an amazing thing to say. Rabba basically says, then when it comes to fulfilling a mitzvah, you do not need intention, but to transgress something, you do need you do need um, you do need intention. And again, this came from a whole discussion about Bautosif, which means like adding to a mitzvah. They also talked about, you know, subtracting from a mitzvah from a mitzvah, right? But you know, Rabba basically disputes some of what Abai has to say here. Um, um, and and part of what they say is the 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 case that Abai gives here is again, I know I'm talking a lot out of the Gemara because it's such a long Gemara. That let's say a person, okay, sleeps in the sukkah on the eighth day, right? Would he be over, right? Would he have committed the transgression of Baltosif that he added to a mitzvah, right? And the Gemara basically says, well, no, the time of the mitzvah passed, so he can't really be sort of like Baltosif on it. But what Rava is basically saying here is that you have to sort of have you don't have to have like some type of conscious intent to fulfill a mitzvah because people want to fulfill mitzvahs. But when it comes to violating a prohibition, right, you sort of have to have a real clear intention that that is what you intended, that that's what you intended um, to do. And so then the Gemara says, Baham Atan Dami Rabbi Yeshua, right? So then they said, okay, but they, this goes back to the Baal Tosif uh, discussion that happened before. According to this opinion of Rabbi Yeshua, that if you gave an additional application, right, additional, you know, sprinkling of the of the blood of the korban that they were talking about, the la'avor, right, this causes the transgression of baltosif, below bai kavana, and the person didn't intend to do it in the case of Rabbi Yeshua. So Rabbi modifies what he says further and says, Ella Amar Rabbi, let's say lo bai kavana. To fulfill a mitzvah doesn't require intent. La'avor, right, when we talk about transgressing uh, uh, the prohibition of Baltosif, bismano lo bai kavana. During the mitzvah's designated time, it doesn't require intent. Shalo bismano bai kavana. But when it's not during its time, it does require intent. And this is specific to the mitzvah of Baltosif. So I, I just thought this was a very interesting concept that Rava introduces, that somehow the intention we need to fulfill a mitzvah is less than the intention that is required to say that you purposefully tried to violate a prohibition. And, you know, Anne, I guess we'll get very meta, 
and this, uh, you know, and this particular, uh, you know, pot on this episode, right, where you talked about that maybe this whole idea of intention has to do with Rosh Hashanah. So I think this about the mitzvot and the Avero, I think Rav is also saying something a little bit about like human nature or the Jewish person's soul, that we don't need a lot to get us there to want to have fulfilled a mitzvah. But to say that a person really wanted to do an Avera, like really wanted to violate something, you have to have like real intention. That's not really what our primary intention is. That's, but our primary intention is to want to do mitzvot. And that's why you don't really need a lot of intention. Now, the Gemara does not say that explicitly, but I, I don't know. I want to read that into here a little bit. Well, I don't know that it's so much reading in. I think that this is part of the, the underlying value system of the Gemara, of Torah, of, you know, Judaism in general, that, you know, we're supposed to, there's a presumption that we love mitzvot, there's a pres- Jews, that Jews love mitzvot, that we want to do mitzvot, that they shouldn't be too hard for us to do. And, right, so then we've got here a fundamental benefit of the doubt built into the halachic system, because you don't even need intent to do a mitzvah, I mean, most of the time, right, for to be to fulfill the mitzvah. But like, what, Jews are going to want to sin? No, right? So then you have to like really, you know, have to go out of your way to have the intent to really do the wrong thing, to have it counted against you. It's a, it's like a a real, let's say a value system to make sure that Jews are not going to be, you know, um, incurring punishments too often, which I think is somewhat counterintuitive to a lot of people who relate to the orthopraxic side of of Torah, right? Meaning there's so many things to do. There's so many mitzvot to do and so many details of halacha that you feel the very often I feel like people are, you know, if not overwhelmed, then just kind of frustrated sometimes even just with the, the busyness of it all. And I think that this makes it clear that that's not, that's not the values of it underlying. Like, yes, there's plenty of detail. Sure. But you know, the basic plan here is for you to have an easier time to have the, the positives, you know, ranked up in your corner, as opposed to having anything negative held against you, you have to work really hard to get that done. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydrogen website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.